host, Chelsea Myers, and today I'm so excited to be talking with Kartik Antani. He is the CEO of Bergen Street Dental Management. Welcome to the show, Kartik. Thank you for having me, Chelsea. It's so awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Um, Kartik, so here's the thing. I grew up in Arizona and then spent... Um, many years in Texas, but never stopped in New Mexico other than passing through. But that's where you're based out of. So <laughs> have you always lived in New Mexico? No, actually, I grew up in New Jersey. I moved to New Mexico after my residency. And I moved here thinking that I was just going to be here for a short period of time, just like you passing through on the way to probably a full-time career or a more permanent situation in Texas, which was my initial goal. Okay. But I ended up liking New Mexico, and it's pretty awesome to be here. And I've uh, somewhat made a an impact uh, in this area, if I can say that. Yeah, I've actually I've understood that myself. Um, it's beautiful there. I did spend a couple of days in Santa Fe, but you are more in the Albuquerque area, is that right? Correct. I'm about an hour south of uh, Santa Fe. It is so beautiful here. It's crazy. It's mind blowing. And every day is, you know, it's a new experience. Very exciting. Well, tell me, give me like a little history. Tell me about your your career. And you said you were just kind of passing through, but what happened? Yep. So I finished residency. And for a long time, even before that, I wanted to leave New Jersey and ended up getting uh, some uh, thoughts and ideas put together and thought, all right, let me explore maybe Texas because I have a few family members there. I have a lot of friends in Texas, and I thought about moving there to start my career after residency. I ended up getting a really good job in New Mexico, and after staying at that job for a couple of years, decided to open up our own practices in New Mexico. And uh, since then, it's been um, a roller coaster ride, but it's been pretty awesome. Can you talk a little bit about that transition from working for somebody else to opening your first practice? Because it's it's definitely an exciting idea, but along with the excitement comes a lot of anxiety and a lot of unknowns. So how did you approach that decision and what was that like for you? Yeah, sure. I can go into that a little bit. So when you have an associateship, it's a very comfortable, guaranteed safety net. When you have your own practice, it's no longer a guaranteed safety net. Also, when I was an associate for someone else, I would always find you know, faults with them. Is it um, you know, the equipment's not right or the assistant or whatever it might be. But after moving to my own organization, I realized that it was difficult to do that. So in a way, it's been a humbling experience where you go from being uh, someone who complains about every small thing, not that I was all complainer to that extent, but a lot of people are as associates, to realizing that it takes so much effort and time and money to create an organization, to bring in the best uh, staff members, the best equipment, the best policies. So it was a pretty fun transition, but also a roller coaster ride, like I said. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a humbling experience for sure. Now, going into it, you know, you go from being an associate somewhere else, not knowing much, except thinking you can do this. And then the day-to-day challenges occur, putting together a team to buy a first practice, doing the due diligence. All of that is very 
important and it's life-changing and you have to have a team. So I went from being an associate for someone else's business to assembling a team of accountants and you know, lawyers and things like that to then having my own team members who I am responsible for and they're responsible for our growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I like that you brought to light the importance of... Um, you know, when you're in an associateship, it, it is easier to critique things because you have one role. But when you are the business owner, you have the role of being the clinician and an employee of that business. And then you have the role of being the CEO and the owner of that business. And so those two roles are a lot of hats all in one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it allows you to have a different appreciation for the um the many things that you're trying to manage and the opportunities for things to go wrong or right and all that's entailed in making it all piece together. So, you know, talk a little bit about um, how did you, when you were first making those decisions and forming your teams, what did you find important um, as far as looking for the right fit for each position? Yeah. So when we first started out, we had no idea, you know, (laughs) It's mostly, you know, who can you hire, who can fill in the seats, who can do the basic tasks to get you going. The one thing I learned pretty quickly is that uh, it's so important to have the right attitude. If you have someone who has the right attitude, you can train them for aptitude or you can assign them roles which they're great at. But if you have employees or other doctors or whoever who have the wrong attitude, they're not gain mindset. They're not grown mindset. If they don't want to grow, if they don't want to improve all the time, then it becomes like a like an anchor for your ship. So even though in the beginning we weren't really good at anything, we were still learning, I still the first lesson I learned was that you have to have the right attitude with your team members and yourself. The mindset is so important. And then from there on, things fall into place. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that there isn't one right attitude for everyone. There's not a one size fits all, which is fantastic because we're all different people. Right. And so if we're looking, if we know what we're looking for, we're going to find it. Um, But there is going to be a right fit for the company and culture that you're building. And so when we dial it back and reverse engineer that process, it becomes incredibly important to do the foundational work of knowing what your values are so that you can hire for those values. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those core values are at your organization? Yes, absolutely. And the thing is, it's a, it's like a moving target. Your values and your projects will change over time, but the core values should be immovable. You can build your smaller values around it. So one uh, major core value we have is integrity. You have to be able to sleep at night. You have to treat people right. You have to have ethics, whether it's your business partner or your associates, your team members, your staff members, and your patients, and your vendors too. You know, you don't want to stick someone with an unpaid invoice, right? Mm. So integrity, having dignity, having ethics are number one, no matter what, right? Number two, uh, a very close number two, is... um, hard work you have to work hard you cannot cut corners you you know if you take a simple filling 
you can't cut corners and that filling. It's got to be the best to your ability. And then if you're trying to build an organization, you can't cut corners trying to build an organization either. It has the best of your ability. So hard work is the second core value that we just live by. And that does mean seven days a week, 24 hours a day. If there's a leap year, that extra day gets thrown in there too. It's not <laughs> negotiable. Right. Yeah. And I can see how those two go together really well, the hard work and integrity. Um, what would you say is a way that, um, that you gauge for that? Say you're in an interview process with someone, anybody can kind of say the right things. We can even Google what the right answers are. Or chat, you do be right. You know, what are the five right indicators or answers for uh, how you demonstrate integrity, but what are you specifically looking for and how do you gauge that? So one thing I've always been good at is reading people. I can sense red flags from a mile away usually. So I personally can see through some of the um, the facade people. But honestly, you don't know till you work with them. You don't know till you hire them, bring them on, and give them a platform. So it's not a one-time thing where you decide that this person is good. Let's go on with it. It's usually a daily, weekly check-in. And regarding that, um, honesty is probably the first barometer. So if I ask them a question and if they don't know the answer, I would rather they tell me that they don't know the answer than to lie about it or make something up. So, you know, I don't really have any specific interview questions that I ask besides the normal, but I do look at their face. I look at their eyes. I look at the body language. I sometimes ask them, you know, curveball questions to see how they'll respond. And sometimes I'll ask them a question that has no answer and see how they'll do. And the way they answer, the way they communicate is more important to me than what they're saying. Sometimes there is no answer. So, Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when we measure um, and look at the psychological safety within organizations, those with a higher level of perceived safety, you mm -hmm. get a larger number of wrong or uh, wrong answers or um, errors reported, those types of things, because people know that it's okay and it's a place where you can learn and grow. Not okay, like let's celebrate it, but okay, now we know what we can work on and work toward. Whereas when people don't feel safe sharing those things, um, you know, it really comes down to, like you mentioned, integrity, whether or not they're going to have the courage to speak up and say something went wrong or just hope that it gets brushed under the rug and not noticed. Right. And, you know, as uh, that goes both ways, we have to be a provider of a safe environment, too. You cannot uh, reprimand staff or team members or other doctors for not knowing something. And in a way, you as a business owner or the the head honcho, whatever you want to call it, you have to be vulnerable enough to go find the answers too. Because most of the time, you don't know everything either. So creating a safe space for your team members is very important. And honestly, that wasn't the case in the very beginning of our career. We were, we weren't, we didn't know it. We didn't know how to do it correctly. But now I have created a space where associate doctors and team members and even within the business owners ourselves we have that open communication where we don't judge if you don't know something you don't know something let's find out together 
and I'm the first one to admit it if I don't know something. I tell people all the time, let's go find out together. Okay, and is that just something that's always been natural for you, or is that a skill and a confidence that you've developed over time? It's a little bit of both. So it's, okay. it is my innate personality to be honest and to help people, and which means being honest about not knowing something and helping find the right answers. But it is something that I've also worked on, you know, on my own, because I realized that my, my innate personality, the way I am, is not sufficient. I have to improve and also create systems and processes where other people in our organization can follow the same path. You know, for example, if one assistant doesn't know something, she should feel safe enough to go and ask a more seasoned assistant on how to do something. And uh, it kind of trickled down from me, but you have to create that. So it's a mix of both. Well, I think it's an important conversation to have because when we're talking about healthcare, there are so many things that do need to be accurate and precise. And um, we spend a lot of years being trained on how to do those ideal treatments and solve problems. But when you combine those those competencies with mindset, it's also equally important to be able to train others and to help people get there. Because, you know, realistically, we didn't start out as experts in the fields that we're expert in. We had a learning process too, and that can be um, easy to forget, particularly when things are fast paced or when you're dealing with chaos and unexpected events day to day. So I like that that's on the forefront of your mind and everything that you've said so far, mindset just keeps um, showing up as something that's really important to you. It is. And, you know, like to your point, no one was a born expert. We are all working on it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but you are getting some, some, um, uh, some, recognition for being an expert and for um, some really cool things that you're doing. Talk to me about some of these things that um, I'm seeing in group dentistry now and even within your own community. Yeah, that's been awesome. You know, we, uh, we won an award recently, which uh, we're going to pick up in October for being one of group dentistry now's uh, emerging groups to watch for this year. Uh, that was really awesome, you know, to, to be, first of all, given the opportunity to talk about our platform, our organization, and then even being awarded for it. I wasn't expecting that, but that's really great. Uh, locally, we, thank you, yeah, thank you. Locally, we did win an award recently this year for being one of the best places to work in Albuquerque for one of our offices, which is also unexpected and that I never even thought I would get nominated, but it's really cool. Because, you know, we're not a, a large organization. We're not one of, the most well-known companies in Albuquerque. You know, we're not like a Sandia Labs or Intel. We're a small organization. And even within that, we have three or four smaller organizations of just normal dental offices. So that was pretty cool to win that. And uh, it was just hopefully we can make people proud by, you know, living up to those expectations. That's so exciting. And again, congratulations on that. That's exciting and it's um, well-deserved. What is Thank your you. plan for growth? Do you have a specific number that you're trying to grow within in a certain time frame, or do you have a different philosophy around growth? You know, when we first started, we did have a specific 
you know, goal that we want to be at X locations by year Y. But uh, I don't think I really chase that anymore. Uh, we have three locations and we have just integrated uh, a fourth uh, part of the company for sleep apnea, TNJ, some of the medical uh, and dental uh, treatments combined together. And that's exciting. I don't think I want to mar that or mark up the waters even more by trying to get to another location or trying to make X happen by Y. I think what I'm happy with now is constant improvement every day. You know, it's the Japanese philosophy of Kaizen. Every day, you make yourself better. So in the long run, we do want to grow, but that doesn't mean we have a specific uh, number in mind. Every day, we want to do better and better for our patients, learn more new techniques, introduce these things to the community, keep doing a good job and, and a better job the next day, and so on and so forth until we eventually do see an opportunity to buy another practice or team up with another doctor and that then we will address it at this point my partner dr yoon and i are super happy with what we're doing and uh, we think about the future but we don't want that you know that goal to distract us from the good work we were trying to do today mm-hmm yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, too. I like that. And, you know, just the pace of the conversation that we're having. And um, like I said, a lot of the things that are shining through and what you're saying, it leads me to be curious about um, what types of rituals or habits or self-care do you make sure to make time for to maintain your healthy mindset as a business owner, as a clinician, as a growing um, influence in your community? That's really good because I've been working on it last six months. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing with mindset is, you know, I've used a lot of books to help me with that, like the gap and the gain and, you know, a lot of other things that have helped me like podcasts, yours and questions community that have helped, but ultimately it becomes habit and, you know, working out every day, even if it's just a, quick little walk around the neighborhood is important. Uh, being mindful of your daily activities. And most importantly, when you have a negative situation, to embrace it, to acknowledge it, but don't let it dwell on your mind. Uh, so I'm a big fan of reading. I, I like my private time as well. So, you know, if I'm driving to work, some days I'll listen to some awesome podcast on mindset. Some days I'll just listen to rap music because that to me is <laughs> relaxing too, you know? Uh -huh. So I don't have any particular rituals, but you know, I, maybe I should devise some in the future. I know a lot of awesome people that have very set things that they do and it seems to help them a lot. And uh, one thing I'm taking more seriously these days is sleep hygiene. So I am making a very specific sleep ritual and hopefully that bleeds into my other rituals like working out and reading and listening to positive things and uh, going out there and doing positive things. But it's going to take time. It's a, it's a work in progress. That is so good. Yes, yeah, sleep should really be an intentional activity. We spend like a third of our life doing it, but sometimes... Mm -hmm. A lot of times I feel like it's just disregarded or, you know, you run at full speed until you hit a wall and it's just something that you have to do rather than a really intentional and deliberate part right. 
of your existence. So talk to me more about like, what are you thinking as far as your sleep? Because I have some ideas too. <laughs> so I was kind of that person who would keep going at full speed and then you hit a wall mm -hmm. and then, you know, you bounce back and you do it again. At some point, the wall gets stronger and you get weaker and it doesn't work anymore. So this last year, uh, I've, I have had the idea that I've got some sleep issues for the last few years, but just this last year I was diagnosed with sleep apnea and that's when I really started to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. So going to bed at the right time, avoiding certain things before bed, like, you know, reading the news, don't do that before bed, you know, don't have caffeine before bed, go walk around outside, don't run your phone before bed, all of these things, having a very set, uh, sleep time and awake time. That's for sure the most important thing that I've done. I don't want to keep running at full speed anymore. I just don't care. I'd rather have a, a good day than a stressful day. And that starts with sleep. Right. And proper right. breathing when you sleep. So I personally have done that. I've, uh, you know, I was in Vegas this last weekend. And when I, what I used to do in Vegas before was stay out as late as possible. Right? Go out and have fun. That's what you do in Vegas. This last time, I was in bed at 9 o'clock. I didn't care what was going on. It was perfect. You know, enjoy your day. <laughs> I know that nightlife is just getting started, but I'm going to go to bed because you have to, to. You have to create those habits. Yes, yes. I love what you're saying. And I also am very intentional about my sleep, including making sure that my phone is put away um, a certain about an hour before I'm going to go to bed because, you know, I was actually reading something recently is really interesting. They were saying as much as possible, you should try not to look at your email on your phone because we're conditioned that, you know, historically a phone rings and you pick it up and that's how we communicated. And now we have smartphones and we can do all kinds of things on them. But because we're conditioned that way, um, when we read an email on our phone, there's this urgency that we need to respond right away. Same thing with the text message that we need to respond. We've seen it now, we must respond, but we don't. The reality is, is that we can let it sit there for as long as we want to because we're not on the phone with somebody. Right. Um, and so that I find so that true. when I, yeah, that I find that when so I put true. my phone away, you know, a a long period before I'm trying to go to bed, I don't have that urgency and that reactive system operating in my brain. I'm able to really just kind of calm down. And I need, you know, some people don't, I really need an easing process to get to that um, high quality rest and sleepful state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like I said, I'm, I'm that guy that would be on his emails at, you know, three in the morning. Mm -hmm. Can't do that. It's so bad for you. So now I have told everyone that after a certain time, I'm not responding to your emails or texts, right. but it still, it still, it still creeps in. You know, someone sends you a text and you're like, <laughs> I have to get to this right now. Yeah. So it's a very yeah. uh, intentional effort that I'm making as well. And mm -hmm. uh, to be honest with you, nothing changes the next day. If you send someone back an email at 11 PM or 6 AM, they're not going to see it till the next day anyway. So. Yes. Uh, even yes. even conversations in in you know in real life conversations with someone, if it's eight o'clock, I don't want to talk about the news or the economy or anything after that. Mm -mm. I want to talk about fun stuff, or I don't want to talk at all. Just let your mind relax, get a good night's yes. sleep, and get back to the grind the next day. 
Yes, I'm with you 100%. And then just you had mentioned the gap in the gain. You know, I think one of my favorite takeaways from that book is the principle of um, self-reflection and always measuring where you're at versus where you were. Um, It's such an empowering concept rather than where you're at versus where you want to (laughs) be. Yes, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's a whole different perspective. It makes you feel so good about what you've accomplished uh, rather than stay in the, the zone of, oh my God, I'm not at 50 million locations by now. Who cares? Enjoy what you can, right? Right. Right. And you know, what's funny about that is you would never go to your best friend and be like, well, I mean, good job on those two awards, but, um, what about five or six more? You you would never say that to someone, (laughs) but you say that to yourself all of the time. You you almost like forget that something great just happened because it's not this other big thing you have your eye on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You, you can't do that to yourself. And we always do that. We're like our own worst critics, right? The person that you should be treating best yourself is usually who you treat the worst it's not good right right and it really is just such an energy drain and then it makes it really challenging even if your values are hard work and integrity it's it's um it becomes a conflict of energy because Mm -hmm. you're trying really hard to rebound from those negative you know spin cycles you're in emotionally and trying to be all these other things that you also believe in and so it's just really important to become aware of that because i think we just aren't aware of it sometimes and that's what makes the um process of correcting it challenging is until we're aware we can't fix it so good good thoughts on that book what else are you reading right now so right now i'm reading a book called why we sleep again i'm trying to implement sleep apnea into our group and uh, as a sufferer of sleep apnea, I'm trying to get better at understanding it. So I've read uh, recently, I've read Dr. Meghna Dasani's books on sleep apnea, which were really awesome. Right now I'm reading a book called Why We Sleep. And after that, I'm going to go back to reading one of her books again. So that's what my focus is these days. I do have a book that I started, which I really should get back to. It's called 4,000 Hours. It talks about how, you know, you've got 4,000 hours in your life. You should probably do something good with that. Um, There's a ton of books in my house that are just waiting. But right now I'm reading about sleep and, you know, the the science behind it and why it's so important. Yeah, I was I'm going to have to look at the 4,000 hours. I was just thinking about uh, the other day I was in a conversation and I did the math and realized, you know, there's a little under 32 years is a billion seconds. And so hopefully I'm a more than a second billionaire at this point still, but it becomes important to, you know, decide we're literally like right now, you and I are trading these seconds and these minutes for this conversation. And so, um, when you start thinking about your time as valuable as it really is, um, you can make intentional decisions about how you want to spend it. That's it. You know, once you figure out what priorities are, you can be very intentional about what you want to do with your time. Family, friends, travel, sit around, watch Netflix, whatever is priority for you, you will realize it once you understand that time is going to run out at some point. Right, and how expensive some of the things you're doing actually are. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Com- completely agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, Kartik, this has been a lot of fun. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to make sure we talk about before we go? No, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you. Thanks for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you joining me for today's episode. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit dentallife.coach for access to additional coaching tools, as well as more episodes to help you create the dental life you truly desire.